What's up, WMT Podcast? It's Jared back. Uh, my guest today is Hunter Dawson of the very well-known band Heritage. Uh, we, went, we went a little longer than normal on this one, and it really didn't even feel like it. Uh, it was really great to have him in here. Uh, anyone who's from the uh, Panhandle area has for sure heard of the band Heritage over the last nine years. Uh, these guys have been a huge influence on the local music scene. Hunter Dawson plays guitar for them. Uh, it was really good to get into a lot of, you know, not just Hunter's history, but the band's history. Um, those guys have had a huge influence on me, too, as far as uh, breaking into the to the music business and, and kind of setting a model for a lot of other people to follow. Um, so anyway, really enjoyed having them on. I hope you all dig the conversation and uh, hit them up. They have a new song out, which we're also going to play at the end of this podcast. Uh, the song just came out couple days ago a track titled farewell it rocks so we're gonna play it uh, once the conversation with hunter and i are done and i hope you all dig listening to it thanks all right wimpty podcast uh, in here tonight with uh, Hunter Dawson. Hunter, what's up, dude? Hey, what's up, man? How you guys doing? Good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in, and kicking in with us for a little bit. Thanks uh, for having me. Uh, back back at it, number twenty. What, I think twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah, that's an interesting sound. Is that like the secret sound game on uh, that they used to play? <laughs> what you guess what that is? That is Shane applying hand sanitizer, which is not uncomfortable <laughs> at all. It's totally natural. We're about to start a podcast and. <laughs> squishes a bunch of <laughs> lotion on his hands. On? Like, well, I just had to go to that back I might, room. I might be in the wrong podcast. Have you been to that back room? I'm not <laughs> trying to talk shit about uh, <laughs> no. the restaurant here, but that's fucking dirty. No. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, we gotta edit that out. Anyway. Not um, it's, there's a lot of dusty beers. They have their, it's like their back back room. Like they have a bunch of uh, stuff they're like aging and all kinds of stuff back there. It's still so dusty. In dust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so Hunter, Hunter, uh, for for the last nine years, almost to the date, you've been uh, the guitar player for a band called Heritage. Uh, anybody who's local definitely knows uh, who that band is. Um, we'll talk a little bit of, a bit about that, man. But let's uh, let's start from the get go, man. Where'd you grow up? How'd you come, you know, playing guitar? How you end up in the area? All that kind of stuff. What? Anything interesting about yourself to to let? Well, uh, I was born in Cape Canaveral. Only lived there for uh, probably six months. I was about six or eight months old. Then moved to uh, Kauai, one of the outer islands of Hawaii, and grew up 10 years there as a little white kid with white hair and blue eyes, which was so awesome to have that kind of hair and those kind of eyes growing up on an outer localized island. (laughs) And then uh, moved back to Cocoa Beach when I was probably about 10 and um, lived there for another 20 years. Went to Cocoa Beach High School, went with Kelly Slater and his brother and brothers, I should say. And uh, and then uh, from there, moved to Colorado, was there for five years and ended up moving here in Destin. Gosh, it's been about 14 years now, so it's been a long journey. But uh, there's crazy stories that I could go on all day in each little pocket of those time frames. So... I really don't know what direction to go, but uh, Hawaii to start off was was pretty crazy. I, uh, you know, everyone was like, "Oh my God, you must miss it." And I do, but 
I got beat up a lot because Outer Island, uh, you know, being a white kid in the 70s was not cool. <laughs> well, how does that happen? How do you end up there? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, okay. That's a good question. Uh, well, my, my mom and dad both surfed. They were kind of hippies. Uh, he shaped surfboards, and I guess they'd already gone to Hawaii. Everyone from Cocoa Beach East Coast would go to North Shore Oahu, and they would surf pipe with all the Hawaiians and the new Californians coming out. And um, so they decided to, to move to Hawaii. So they got married, had me. Um, so I just basically grew up a poor white kid surfing all the time. My dad worked on VW bugs and stuff for a living, which yeah. <laughs> he used to race them, you know. And uh, and uh, so I, I, I guess I could swim before I could walk. That's what my parents told me. So I was surfing before I could run. You know, I mean, just really cool upbringing, but very rough around the edges also at the same time. Yeah. So so the kids were just assholes. And you know what? I, I get it. Yeah. I, I, anytime the, the subject of being a minority or being segregated or, you know, being the outcast. I mean, I get it. Uh, I spent my whole younger years being that person, but I get it too, though. I mean, like, like we've done as, I don't know if you want to say Americans or white people or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we move into an area, take over and kick everybody out, you yeah. know, and that's happened so many times And Hawaii it was no different. You have these, these, um, you know, generations of people who've grown up there and, and, and have owned the island since their grandparents, grandparents and all that. And we annexed them as a state and moved in and went, all right, here's a piece of paper. You guys all get out. Yeah. And so sure enough, they're going to be pissed off like everybody else. And so it was just a general thing to hate so white it people. So runs downhill. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I've heard it. that from everyone though, that, you know, even, even people that go on there on vacation, even I know people who are actual, you know, who are Hawaiian who are like, yeah, no, we don't like it. You know? So I, I get it. it. I mean, yeah. you know, that's kind of been our history as a culture. <laughs> you know, just like, hey, that looks good. We're gonna take that. You know. Yeah. So, but anyway, that so that was uh that was my uh, earlier years there, and when I came back from oh, actually, I guess I'll say something about guitar. Uh, I grew up listening to my dad play slack key flamenco guitar, which is real um, prevalent in the Hawaiian Islands back then. I'm sure now still too, but it was. Um, like old stuff like Cecilia and Capono and um, and some flamenco stuff like Aldemiola, which wasn't Hawaiian, but still flamenco in nature. And um, so I grew up listening to that my whole, you know, first 10 to 12 years of being alive. And so that was in my system. And then uh, when I moved back here with my family in well, what, whatever year it was, we can skip that, but I was around 11 and, um, and I met my mom's brother. And uh, the first time I met him, I went upstairs to his place with my mom was there and I heard this unbelievably loud noise. And as I'm going up the stairs, I go into this smoke filled room and he's got these two half stacks of amps and he's playing this Les Paul and it's at full volume and my teeth hurt. And he was playing Van Halen and talking about love. And I was like, I'd never heard electric guitar before. And I was like, Oh my God, what is that? And I'm like, whatever that is, I want to do that. And so it, it, that began a really cool relationship between me and him for years and years and years as I started to play and get better and kind of be able to relate to what he was doing because he was, he, was, he was Shredder. Um, we'd bounce back and forth with, oh, yeah, guess what kind of gear I got, you know? So we were gear junkies and mm. always trading off those relationships. And that was kind of my, my start to want to play rock and roll and, you know, harder stuff versus just the acoustic stuff. But, uh, yeah, that and uh, started to go to 
Cocoa Beach or uh, Cape Canaveral, a place called uh, Cape Fear Elementary School in Cape Canaveral. And uh, I was bigger than all the rest of the kids my age, but because I had grown up getting beat up all the time, man, I had this, this, <laughs> this. My, how the tables have turned. <laughs> oh, my, well, no, it was funny because it didn't matter. Cause like I, I, it was like a video game where I had this little bell over my head go, beat up this guy, everybody go now, you know, and it was, I mean, the littlest punk ass kid would chase me home from school and I'm twice his size and my dad got so tired of he's like man would you stop being a puss you know would you just <laughs> just get beat him up or something and I just was terrified of people terrified of getting hit and all that and that went on for a while so I get to a point where I snapped and I told my parents I'm like all right I need to I want to take something I want to do something to be able to defend myself so I started taking taekwondo which was cool back then and um just found a niche, man. I absolutely love the arts. I love the fighting. I love the self-defense. I love the morality. I love the character of all that and just got hooked way back then. So I did that for a few years in my high school years, did kickboxing and not, not serious. I didn't compete or anything. It was just fun. And so, uh, anyway, I broke that habit. And the funny part about it was I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to kick somebody's ass. Mm -hmm. No one ever messed with me. Yeah. Like even through high school, I was so pissed off. I was mad. I'm like, come on now. I mean, like, Somebody messed with me, you know, and after that, I mean, I didn't have this, like, I dare you look on my face. It wasn't like that. I was just ready for it. It never happened. I'm like, this is, this is bull crap. Well, that was a cool, my, my upbringing, man, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a tough guy, but I had a, I had a brother who was four years older than me that we'd square off all the time. Oh, wow. So when you're, when you're in second grade and your brother's in sixth grade and you're throwing haymakers at each other and shit while mom and dad are at work during the summertime, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't. I would. I wasn't intimidated by anybody my age. You're fearless. I didn't care. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's like, what are you? What are you gonna do? Like, okay, yeah, you hit me. That hurt, but like, nothing compared to what my brother was four years older than you. <laughs> yeah. You know, done. That um, that's always such an advantage too, because when you have that kind of person, physically uh, abusing is not the right word. Um, physically training you for the real world, so to speak. Physically, you know, then someone else your age or that your size comes along and you're like, you don't understand. I'll crush you. I'm like, I'm dealing with a, a Hulk on my normal basis, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so man, you start playing, you start playing guitar, you start taking self-defense lessons. When were you in your first band? Uh, and I, what kind of band was it? It, well, my first band, I think I was a freshman in high school or maybe, maybe a freshman or sophomore. I don't remember, but I, um, I'd never played the guitar like this. We're talking for like 15 years old. For the three, for four years I played prior to that first band in high school, I never stood up and played the guitar. So I was always sitting down in my room, jamming on whatever with no pressure to mess up and start all over again. And so uh, I got together with a bunch of my skater friends and we decided to play some stuff. And believe it or not, some of the first stuff we started playing was U2. It was, uh, I think, the first song we ever covered was Sunday Bloody Sunday. Okay. And, um, and uh, I think randomly next the song was uh, Dorama Rama Anything Anything, which was, you know, punk rock ish mm -hmm. sort of back then. So we kind of goofed off for a little while, but I just I have a very slow slow learning curve. So for me, the everyone else was escalating quickly, and I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna go surf. You mm -hmm. know, so so that was the first official band I was ever in, and just kind of waffled back and forth trying to get some stuff together and get together with some people, and it just was. Yeah, it was like fun to jam, but it just had no momentum. Mm. Then, um, yeah, I guess uh, then in high school, I uh, I started to get really good at bodyboarding. Well, backtrack a little bit. Uh, when I was 15, I had a 
bad skating accident and my uh i shattered the bone between my elbow and my shoulder and um it was like a seven hour surgery i still have two plates and nine pins in it um and the doctor was like okay so you this is a really really bad injury uh he goes if you ever break it again with all that's going on there he goes there's gonna be no way to salvage it we're gonna just have to amputate your arm so he's like don't play football don't skate don't do anything of any kind of like danger. Don't surf because if you hit the ground or your board hits you. And so I was just terrified for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Well, a very cool friend of mine named Scott Picard um, kept visiting me in the hospital after the surgery. And all of my friends at school, not not one of them came but him. And I just became friends with him. He was about a year or two older than me. So he started getting me into bodyboarding. And I'd surfed my whole life. And boogie boarding was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's kind of fun, whatever. And he's like, hey, man, I'm... I once you come with me uh, in the next week or two, he goes, I, I get to surf the U.S. Amateur Championships down South Florida. And I was like, why not? And then I got there, and since it wasn't that prevalent back then, he was like, what, do you want to see if you can get in? I'm like, I just started bodyboarding, like, you know, just recently. End up getting in, getting sixth. And so, like, I start off my bodyboarding career half-assed with sixth in the U.S., and I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. And then, but I guess I had a knack for it. So pretty quick, we started competing a lot and then uh, traveling and then doing photo shoots. We traveled to we went to Puerto Rico and Cabo San Lucas and a bunch of other spots as the new upcoming amateurs for a while. And so when I was uh, towards the end of my high school year, I decided I was going to go to California. And um, we, I went out there with a buddy of mine after we graduated and went out there for the whole summer. And I, I came back to pack up all my stuff and move out there and just compete professionally and all that and like a lot of people's story came back and found a girl and decided i wasn't going anywhere so hung it up damn yep damn's right but that's why you're here yes it's all true it's all all the roads lead to to where you are man so i'm assuming we don't want to talk about her no, she's cool. Yeah. She's, <laughs> we're still. We don't really talk anymore. But she's yeah. cool. It, no, it was it wasn't didn't even have, have anything to do with her. It was me. Like it was my choice to go chase after something or give it up because you love somebody so much. And at the time, that was like, yep, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And it's always cool to see how everything pans out differently. I was very cautious about rewinding and going. What if I didn't do that? What if I did something else and then you think of some yeah, grand plan that. and you go, I hate myself. Never mind. I quit, you know? Yeah. And yeah. N- nostalgia is dangerous, man. It is. Super dangerous. Um, but uh, so, okay. So that, that happens. And, and then what? Well, um, went through a, a point in time where um, when, when me and that particular girlfriend at the time, we were together for like three years. And um, I got I got the point where I'm like 23 something like that, and I, I started to realize I'm like I don't really even know what I'm doing in life now. And I know a lot of people that age will kind of hit that stride like I should be like full steam somewhere right now, halfway through college or whatever, and just kind of wandering around like not really sure what to do. And uh, I, my mom was like, "Oh, I, she she we I was living with my girlfriend at the time. My mom was in Coco uh, Cape Canaveral's in Satellite Beach, and." She goes, oh, you should come with me to uh, to this church I'm going to. And I, I, my parents were were like, they loved God, they they believed He was real and all that, and and but they sent me to Catholic school, and so Catholic school for my junior high year years were not a good thing at all for me at the time, because uh, I showed up 
and they barely could afford to pay for me to go to that school. And, um, it was at the time, I'm not, they're not all like this by any stretch, but at the time they were like, well, you Catholic. I'm like, and they were like, well, he's, we were Christian. And they're like, yeah, not the same thing. You can't go to mass. You can't go to this. You can't get confirmed. All this kind of stuff. So already being a poor family in a school like that, and I'm not Catholic and I can't really do all this stuff. I was once again, the outcast again, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm like, I wasn't even discouraged. I was just so used to it that that's where I, I was, but watching, and most of the hypocrisy was from the kids. It wasn't from the parents or the adults or the, the staff or all that, but I just saw them acting like they were church going kids. Cause I'd never gone to church really. I started going with them, going to mass and all that. And I was like watching them do something when they're there. And the second they get out of there, just complete hellions. And I was like, you guys, I, I was thinking this might be real to you guys, but this is a huge joke, you mm-hmm. know, for, for my friends. And, we actually, the high school kids would come to our school and um, would pick fights with our kids. That we were in eighth grade, and we'd all kick their ass and send them back to school. I mean, happened all the time. So we, when we got to high school, everyone was like, oh, my God, our Savior's kids. You know, they were, they were kind of terrified. So my first impression of organized religion was like, now nah, you can have it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a joke, you know. And so anyway, cutting back to, you know, me being 23 and not really sure where I'm going, but my mom said, yo, you should go to this church with me. And, and I'm like, I got hair three quarters weight on my back. I was into Eddie Vedder and, you know, Pearl Jam and all that. So that's my time, you know, lion's mane. And I got an earring and tattoos and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I'll fit, fit in really good in your nice little neat church with 30 people, you know? And so I, uh, she talked me into going and I had a pretty heavy duty ex- experience where, I saw stuff that there was no way you could fake. You know, like when you experience something, you can kind of tell if someone's faking it or if it's authentic. And I saw some really powerful spiritual stuff there that I walked into our house. Well, I was like, whoa, I've never been to anything like this. And, you know, there's who's the first time visitor? And people raise their hand. And by the end of the service, all kinds of crazy stuff was going on with them. And I was like, all right, I'm listening. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'll, I'll be back. But the, the biggest impact wasn't the the overly spiritual or supernatural stuff that was going on. It was when the guy was teaching out of the Bible, it was like every single line was resonating with me. And it wasn't like, Oh, you sinners and you got to do this. And it was just like, everything he was saying was like, Oh dude, that's right on in my life. Oh yeah, it's true, man. I needed that. Oh, I was just thinking about that the other day. And that was a full hour worth of that going on straight out of scripture. And I was like, wow, he got my attention. So I started going back and I'm usually not an all or nothing kind of guy, kind of like, you know, dip my foot in, see if it's good for me, try it and then whatever. But man, something got a hold of me and I just, I walked away from everything that I was before and said, all right, God, if you're real, I, I don't, I already have this huge preconceived notion. I took all kinds of spiritual classes and religion classes in college before this. And I'm like, I'm going to set that aside and just if you're real, I just want to know what you're about, who you are, what you want me to do. Cause I'm seeing all these people singing and dancing and like, it's making a big deal in their lives. And I'm, I'm just not going to fake it. I'm like, if it's not me, it's not me. Let's try it out. You know? And over the next 10 months, it was like, I just completely turned into a different, in a positive way, mm-hmm. completely turned into a different person from what I experienced, what I knew and what, what I was being taught so much so that I, you know, met uh, some friends I went to high school with and they were just like, oh, we don't even know who you are. And it wasn't like, I wasn't like, come join my cult. You know, it wasn't like that. It was just, they're like, man, you used to rage in high school, you know? And, um, and now you're like, you're seriously, legitimately, genuinely 
about being a good person and, and taking the right path and all that. So that was the start of a very long, amazing journey in what I would say in my relationship with God or however you want to call it, just the, an awakening and awareness of that he's real and that he loves you and he wants to give you a path. He wants to bless you. He wants to pave the road for you, so to speak, you mm. know? So that led me to a church in um, in uh, Merritt mm. Island, and uh, that's where I met Eric, who is the senior pastor of Shoreline Church, Church at the okay. Rave here. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, we became friends, and uh, he, he, I got married to uh, high school sweetheart, and uh, he was the first. He was it was the first ceremony he'd ever done as an official pastor, which is me and you know now my ex. She she's awesome, but and uh, she or he. Um, We've been friends. I've been friends with him and Darlene for, God, 20, I don't know, 18 years or 20 years, something. I'd have to count the numbers, but it was 93, 94. Yeah. So we've been friends ever since. And I was in a band that did really well for a while, kind of a, a hard rock uh, Christian band. It wasn't like all the lyrics were more vertical from a relationship of you being here and God being somewhere else, but you're talking with him and conversing and kind of pouring out your heart and all that and your struggles and trials. And, but all the music was what we all liked, which is really heavy music, a lot harder. And uh, so that started doing really well. And just like numerous things, in my life just came to screeching halt and unraveled. And so I was kind of like, not really sure what to do next. And out of nowhere, um, got an offer from me and Eric's pastor. His name was Dan. I got an offer for, for me to maybe go out and interview to be a youth pastor out in Colorado and I was like, I mean, don't you got to go to like Bible college and like have all these things you do? And like, I, I don't know how to be a youth pastor. I never wanted to be one, but I mean, I love kids and love music and all that. And so he's like, you know what? Just go out there, check it out, see what you think about it, and then come back. And so that's kind of at a point where I just had a full-time job working at Sea Ray Boats, making boats at a product development and engineering plant. And That's a big company. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was a privilege to work for him. It was it was kind of at a place where, like I said, I'm just not sure what I'm doing, but I'm just going to take one day at a time, and was there for five years, and it was towards the end of that that I got this opportunity to go to Colorado, and I wasn't really, you know, I had a 401k, I was making good money, and and I uh, wasn't really ready to just jump up and go somewhere else and just wing it, and uh, me and my wife at the time flew out to Colorado, and, and uh, they had a full-size X-Game skate park, and I skated and surfed my whole life. I, by the way, I kept skating even after the injury, mm-hmm. so didn't care. But um, went out there and skated around the park one morning all by myself and then uh, walked through their youth rooms. And their youth rooms had like Halo and pinball games and all this kind of stuff. And what was funny about the church was they spent so much money on activities for youth. But it was a really small church and they didn't really spend hardly anything for the adults. They literally were like, we feel like it's our duty to give, to love and take care of those who can't do that back to us. You know, you know, there's nothing that youth can do for the adults. They can't give any money back. They can, you know, it's like it's like our job to care for those who can't really care back for us. And um, so they, they put their money where their mouth was. And every time they had an opportunity, did a big youth event and all that. When I came out there and saw that, I was just like, wow, I don't, I don't really know what it means to be a youth pastor or what that looks like. But I mean, maybe I'd be willing to try. But we came back for a couple of weeks, and me and my wife at the time talked about it and chewed on it and we decided to move out there. So I ended up moving out there in 2000. And, um, I was, uh, when I, when I take on a role, especially something of that kind of responsibility, you're talking kids' lives. I mean, you just, 
one hug, one like right sentence, one affirmation could keep one kid alive that day that you had no idea he was going to go into his life. So I took it so seriously that I'm like, <clears throat> I'm not going to play music anymore because I was playing a lot of music before I moved out mm. to Colorado and all church based type stuff at the time. And, um, and then, uh, I'm like, I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to learn what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't know how to plan events and how do you plan it for the year? And what do the kids need to teach? What do I need to teach them? And when do I need to teach it to them? Like February, you talk about not having sex or something. I don't know. You know, I'm like, (laughs) what do you do? I mean, like, are you supposed to love? Oh, here's God's kind of, you know, I don't know. So I started reading all these books and like really plugging in and, the guy who was leading the youth group, which, by the way, was was really, really cool. The whole adult sanctuary turned into this big, like, a monster garage type thing. All the things pulled back, and it was solid metal with all these welding. The children's pastor at the time was a former welder, <clears throat> so he made all this crazy stuff and uh, ended up being a cool thing. So anyway, I, I took over the youth and was showing up and loving kids and listening to their world. And there was a lot of non-church kids that went because we sent these three big school buses into the neighborhoods to pick these kids up. Half these kids were gangbangers. Mm. And um, I mean, like legit younger kids from from rough families. And the other kids were skaters and they would never set foot in church, but they'd come to 180, which is our youth group, you know. <clears throat> so I, I was... That's lip- funny. My youth group was called 360. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're going the same way again. After that. <laughs> I don't. Well, it was Baptist, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Um, I, I don't know if maybe they. I don't know. And it was in the South too. So I mean, doesn't that mean you just spun around in a circle? That's you're exactly going the same what it exact means. Direction. Yeah. <laughs> I think. It, I think. It, I think. Uh, with the best that I can understand, it was originally called Impact, and then our our youth pastor left halfway through, like my time at the church. And then they switched it from Impact to 360. And uh, I don't know, maybe the... Yeah, because a 180 is a a turnaround and a 360 is a complete circle. (laughs) So the best I can think of is is all all aspects of your life, maybe. I don't... Man, I don't know. I was a kid... Maybe I have no idea. What if you spun around and like did a 360 real quick? You're like, ta-da! Like, yeah, it's a new you, maybe? Yeah. Who knows? They probably just thought it sounded cool. Who knows? I just thought that was a coincidence that it was <laughs> yeah. called 180. Yeah, it, it ended up being the reason why it ended up 180 was actually a, a franchise to start out of Tulsa, and they they did all this stuff from the beginning and struck fire like incredibly fast. They had they ended up having a fleet of school buses. It was in Broken Arrow. Mm. They had a fleet of school buses that would go into all these neighborhoods, and it wasn't just randomly picking up kids like. <clears throat> They had parents of kids that went to church that were in those neighborhoods that ended up being small group leaders for whoever in that neighborhood wanted to go. And it just was like automatic reproduction of of reaching out to these kids. And they had a killer rock band and games and all this stuff. So they ended up packaging it going, hey, if you're in a small town and you're struggling to have an identity and do something cool, do this. So when I walked into it, they'd already had that at our church in Colorado. So they had a really good footing of what you could do to be relevant and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Sony, at one point in time, our, the guy who was leading the music, um, who was our worship leader, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he um, was going... Got some Fiji water yeah, right there. Yeah, there's some water right there. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, this is expensive. <laughs> I'm going to have some water here real quick. 
Yeah, so maybe 360 just ripped that shit off. Yeah, we probably didn't want it. We probably didn't want to pay for the 180 package. Like, ah, you know what? It was like 180. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're 360. <laughs> we're 720. We got that great value shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were the great value version of 180, dude. <laughs> it's funny, and that's that's one thing uh, we talk about later. But that's one thing that's really <clears throat> burnt me with with some organized religion type stuff is like <clears throat> you expect it to be different, and there's so much of it that's so packaged and and market, you know, materialized and and marketed just like you'd see in the rest of the non-church world. And it's not like that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, people who are secular have an amazing idea of how to market stuff and, and make images and branding and all that kind of stuff. But when I've, I've experienced where that's the sustenance of it is just that brand. And you're like, well, I thought there was going to be way more to this and deeper and everything. It's like, ta-da, isn't this cool? And you're like, I mean, that was, that's why I walked in the door, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm hoping to see and feel a lot more reality than that, you know? So, yeah, I mean, marketing is marketing regardless of, uh, yeah, I think most regardless brands, that's, that's, that's in the that's Christian how world, you feel regardless, world. Regardless, right? Yeah. And I mean, and, and that's just like anything else. I mean, if you want to, if you want to compare that side by side with, uh, just even say a commercial on, on television, you know, uh, a toilet paper commercial, they, they, anybody is trying to, to reach you on some sort of emotional level. So there's a lot of parallels in between, uh, in between that in the church world and in the secular world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're and, right. Like any, any sort of marketing or any sort of uh, commercialized anything, whether that's organized religion or whether that's Amazon, you know, any kind of company, if they can connect with you on an emotional level, that's, that's the way to do it, man. Yeah, you're right. And I, and I feel like it's a lot easier to do that through religion because you're talking about something that is different to everybody. I'd say, I'd say, uh, even within the same denomination of a church, uh, your definition of God is going to be completely different than probably someone else's definition of God. Absolutely. You know, um, in that, but, uh, but anyway, uh, back to, uh, just, just to hit on that, what you're saying, which is really cool. I feel, you know, not to open up a can of worms, but I think it'd be, I just love to say this and people will be able to hear it. There's so many people, out there that are so self, and I'm, I'm talking from both sides of the fence, very churchy to completely non-churchy at all, whatever. Everyone is so damn self-righteous right now, like that there's all these reasons why, you know, I'm mad at you because you said something I don't like, or uh, you're doing something that con- confronts what I think is true and all that. And it's just like everybody's fighting with everybody. And if you just shut up for like two seconds and go, wait, do I really care about the other person? Because if I care about them and love them, well, start there. Start there that I want this person's well-being, you know? And if that person's well-being is is something that's a priority to me, then we can have a calm, peaceful discussion field we can meet on to talk about, like, well, what do you know? What do you think? Why do you think that? Versus, like, straight out of the gate, everybody's fighting about everything, arguing about everything, Political size, gender size, any—it doesn't matter. It's like everyone's at war, and and I saw a post the other day. It was funny. Someone was like, "Can we just go back to the '90s when everything was pretty cool?" You know, because <laughs> there was less battling going on. You know, but uh, so anyway, saying that about you know who you know what how you might anybody in church sitting right next to each other, how this person might perceive God and their definition versus mine or, or you know whatever. It's if you love each other. And I know it sounds all like, oh, it's cool hippie. I, I don't really mean that. I mean it from the authentic point. If you truly love other people and you care about them, 
you want to hear their story. You want to hear how they arrive where they're at and why they where they're there. And I mean, God forbid you might learn something, you know, mm. like so. You know, it's a little rabbit trail, but yeah. Just to piggyback on that real quick, just a, a funny story. Uh, someone very close to me, uh, a couple years younger than me, we had a conversation. And not to get, I don't, I don't want to go down. We don't talk a, a lot about religion or politics, right? Honestly. Of course, we try to stay away. You from don't it. alienate anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but this is a person who's pretty close to me, and who I, who I could have a conversation like this with. And we were, we were discussing uh, God. We'll just say God. And I asked him. I said, let, let me guess. Okay. I said, when you pray, what do you picture in your head? I was like, can I guess what you picture? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. I was like, I'm thinking a man. Probably in his seventies, with long white curly hair, probably in a robe, like some blue and white robe mixture, stuff like that. And she was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "That is silly to me. That's crazy. That's crazy." You so you honestly, when you when you close your eyes and pray, you really kind of feel like you're praying to a human. Which I guess, if you want to break that down, if if you want to get biblical about it, okay, well, man was made in God's image. Fair enough. Right, right. Fair enough. You know, if if you want generally, to take it, yeah. if you want to take it that way. But yeah. to me, that just sounded like the silliest thing I'd ever heard in my <laughs> life. Just a little, just a little side story. We don't have to discuss on that too much. You know. But uh, but well, yeah, it was just funny that I could just because of uh, the way he's depicted in uh, well, in Baptist Sunday school flannel boards. Well, that's the way he's marketed. That's the way he's marketed. Yeah, coming back to it, that is the way he's marketed. Yeah. But people also need. I feel they need to personify most things. Mm-hmm. Even when they're talking about their car, their boat, you know, they personify it. They That's make, true. They, they, you know, they, it makes it more real, more tangible, something to yeah. attach to. What's your boat's name? Yep. Yeah. Martha. Right, yeah. But, the, you know, the, what you're saying about that is it's you projecting more than it is you being, you know, I mean, if you have a Lamborghini <laughs> and it's... it's Jennifer, and that's what it comes from the factory. And obviously, that's what the gender they gave it, or whatever you the identity, who cares? Yeah, but it's a lot of times it's what you're projecting because you're like, Well, I think God's like this. Well, maybe God doesn't really care what you think he think you think he looks like. You know, maybe you ought to just be quiet and like learn from what life has got to teach you about who he is because it talks about you know, the stars, the ocean, science, everything points to. An, an ultimate creator, creator, or at least that's what I believe. I'm not saying everyone have to, has to believe that, but when that happens, sometimes it's easier for you to just sit back and be quiet and just like absorb from the sunset and absorb from the, the, the eclipse and absorb from all this crazy stuff to go and in your heart and your mind, you're like putting together God's identity, you know, and, and what he is and what he's about. But, you know, that's just how I see it though. But anyways, <laughs> I, I understand no, that. No, I agree. I get that. Yeah, and because he's not, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, and he's not descriptive in scripture, right? Like, he's not, uh, it, this is what he looks like. He does not look like a white man with white hair, anything like that, man in the sky. He, he's not described like that, right? Well, in Revelations, it talks about, in a Re- Revelations, it's pretty crazy. It talks about three headed dragons yeah. and, <laughs> and like the earth opening up and demons and everyone's dying and like, I mean, some, some crazy crap. But, but in that, it, it talks about, the son of God or Jesus coming back on this white horse and, and with the eyes of flame and hairs white, which is not at all what he looked like, you know, according to what the Bible says, yeah. you know, in the new Testament or whatever, as far as the first part, you know, when he was alive. But so, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's described like that there, but you're going to have people that are going to read one line. And I've seen this all throughout in the, in the 20 years or so I've been a Christian or whatever you want to call it. Um, I've seen people 
get one piece of scripture and go, I like this. And oh, so yeah. they run with that. And before you know it, yeah. they just, they'll, they'll create this whole other belief and doctrine out of one thing that if you don't get the whole backstory and the other parts of the Bible that are talking about that particular scripture, you're just basically kind of grabbing it and doing what you want with it, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I guess it was more so I was, I'm agreeing with you that, yeah, you just kind of yeah. need to sit back, let it roll because these things aren't, aren't really described in scripture but you're, when you're sitting there, like, say, in a Baptist church and you've got a photo of Jesus, who is a <laughs> blue-eyed white man. From the Middle East. Even though you're not being, you know, right, not, exactly. you're not reading that. It's just imprinted. It's branded into you. Yeah. And so that's just, you associate that. You associate Jesus with uh, being a blue-eyed like white a, Oh, when we were roommates, remember the, uh, the American Jesus flyer we got? And, and uh, Christ's hair was about my length. <laughs> And beautifully groomed beard. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Blue eyes, uh, a nose that was as far from Jewish as you could get. Oh, like just. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, no, that that's what you would you say about Roman? <laughs> yeah. Yep, big time. But it's it's funny because yeah, that's one thing that's always cracked me up. You're like, okay, so Jesus was from the Middle East, so he's a white guy yeah. with blue eyes. You don't question it. It's just the yeah. photos just there. Like the 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 sculptures are there. You don't question it, but yeah. see that's so when you ask somebody, yeah, so what does he look like? Well, yeah, yeah. So he's a white dude. Yeah, <laughs> and like, that's but that's what think about one it. thing you just said right there, Sean. <laughs> that's a huge deal that I love about this generation. <clears throat> Even though some of it I think is completely ridiculous, <clears throat> I love the fact that this generation is questioning everything, mm. everything of reality or what we've been taught or what the what facts say or what history says. I love the fact that that everything's being questioned so it's not going to be like, oh, well, this is how it's supposed to be or this is how it is. Well, I, I grew up in the church, and if you if you started questioning, sayonara, yep. see you later, um, even with my parents because I said so, you know? Um, so, but, I, but yeah, I really, I really agree with you, and I think just uh, with how much information we have, now, uh, like, for example, growing up, if I had a question, like during a Bible study or something, if I had a question about it, I would have to go to the library or go find an encyclopedia or something or, mm-hmm. or find someone who's written a book on this specific topic in Scripture. And now you just pull out your phone, look at it, and you can get 300 different perspectives on it to help you better understand any of it. But where that, where that, I guess where that can also get dangerous is you can find anybody who wants to confirm your beliefs exactly as well. I totally agree. Yep. Uh, you know, and that, and that's where you can really get, and that's why, um, and just full disclosure, uh, uh, Hunter, before like growing up, man, I was uh, I was a Christian. I would consider what I would consider myself a Christian. Um, somewhere, somewhere along the way, probably my late teens or early twenties, I. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I lost my faith because I, but it's I I wouldn't call myself a Christian anymore. Okay, I wouldn't say I I wouldn't say that, uh, but I wouldn't say that I don't believe in God. A lot of people all the time they're like, "You atheist liberal," <laughs> you know, and I'm like, "No, <laughs> why? Because because I question things, you know." Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think absolute statements are dangerous on any side, right? You know, um, now if you have your, if you have faith, that's great. You know, if you and if you're strong in your faith, that's uh, it, to be honest, I'm I'm envious of a lot of people who who still have who, who still have that, um, but at the same time, I think an absolute statement, just like when I hear anybody like a, just a straight up atheist, there is no God. I'm like, 
Okay, but you also have to understand that uh, you making that statement, that absolute statement, right, is the same as someone else telling you you're going to hell, right? You get exactly, that. Yeah. You understand that, right? Like those those blanket absolute statements about any of it. I feel like that. I feel like that's a dangerous slope to be on, you know. And I, and I feel like that's kind of where understanding gets gets lost as well. Going back to what you were talking about is mm-hmm. um, everyone's picking these sides and these beliefs and these these small tribal circles that they're getting into yeah, now. You, yep. And if you aren't part of the fucking tribe, yep, they do so right. Yep. See you later, man. You aren't yep. welcome here. Yep. You know? And it's That's a frustrating so. thing about that is, is, uh, w- just when I really started plugging into church, when, like I said, I was like 23 or something like that. And I just started reading, which I've always had a problem with reading cause I get dysgraphia, which is getting numbers backwards. But one of the uh, side effects of that, is focus. I couldn't read anything. I, I graduated with like a 2.4 in high school. All I wanted to do was surf because I just, learning was just always challenging. If I could put my hands on it, I was good. But, but, and so anyway, I started reading a lot. And one of the first things I started reading all the time was Proverbs. And one of the biggest things it talks about in Proverbs is the character of a wise man, the biggest, and it, it was that you keep your mouth closed, that you don't speak quickly, that you absorb and learn from anybody you can, you know, and a wise man's one who seems like they don't know anything because they never talk. And they're always learning from life and God and I mean, scripture too, but from other people's experiences, like, and that's one thing before we even got on here, I was telling you what's big for me is you never know, you might be walking by someone and if you don't take the time to hear them or listen to them, like with your ears open and your, your mind kind of calmed, you might miss an incredible story just and you just walk right by them and you'll never experience what that person went through, good, bad, or ugly, you know? So anyway, mm-hmm. that's always big for me. That's why you ever catch me in, in a bar, red door, whatever, I'm talking to everybody because I just want to hear what's going on with them how their yeah. day went. You know, I mean, that's that. why we do this. That's why I do this podcast, yep. man, you know? Um, so anyway, man, I know we just got... Side track, man. <laughs> we, but that's okay. I I dig it. I like. I mean, that's dude. That's me understanding more about you, and you know, likewise. I appreciate so, it. Thank you. Um, uh, but uh, so so anyway, man. Let's get closer to uh to the time where where we start to where you get here in town. Okay. Anyway, uh, and what, you start to well, I got here. I I uh I Eric and Darlene. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. How do you go from Denver to here, okay. or, or Colorado to here? I used to because Eric was my hero. I mean, I was he was just like my slightly older brother, but he was always my hero because he was reckless and he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. To the point where some people like go, "This guy's a senior pastor for real," you know. Like, I mean, this guy acts like a clown sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's just a good dude and just tons of energy and all that. So anyway, I would have him come out to Colorado, him and Darlene, and we do these youth retreats out in the mountains, which you would you would have loved. I mean, it's it, just the base of these incredible mountains. We'd go hiking or snowboarding or whatever. And towards the very end of it, he uh, he started going, hey, we're, we're starting a church in Destin. He goes, you should think about moving out here. And I'm like, wait, so you want me to move from, you want me to move from the mountains of Colorado to the, to the Gulf of Mexico? I was like, dude, I mean, we're friends, but don't be a jerk. You know, like, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, you know? And he's like, kept badgering me about it. And I was like, no, no, no. And after a year or two later, I really felt like my heart opened up to it and go, maybe this is the next thing. But the hardest part for me was letting go of all these kids that I've watched lose family members. I've watched their, their friends commit suicide, all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, man, I don't want to just up and do what every youth pastor does and find the next best thing. Yep. 
And so I really chewed on it to where like I just couldn't deny it anymore. I knew it was the right thing to do and found the right guy to replace me. His name was David and his wife was Tanya. It was just awesome. Let that go and move down here to take over the music department for Eric. Uh, and um, th- at this time now, I'd been married for about 12 years. So 11 or 12 years. And um, when I got down here, I didn't realize that that was kind of like what my wife at the time was hoping she was like, you know, let's, you go do that. I'm going to hang out here for a while and get some space and all that. And I didn't realize that she was moving on. And so when that finally was a revelation to me, I'd already been down here for about a year or almost a year. And so it was really rough. I was leading, leading the music and the worship here for shoreline church when it was at the rave, uh, which is now AMC. And, um, and I was like, you know what? I think it's better for me to step out of limelight. I don't want to be up here going, hey, everybody, welcome to Sunday morning. You know, I just was like, this. I need to just be quiet and just back off. And so I took some time and just kind of stepped out of limelight. And um, out of nowhere, um, uh, to skip the whole entire beginning of this story, out of nowhere, some friends of mine who I was, I was mutually friends with, three or four different of these guys, um, and met Tony and Damien, who are the very beginning of Heritage, uh, Tony, Damien, and Eric Yura, basically. Um, they wanted to record an album. We had a mutual friend that was like, I believe in you guys. I want to record an album. And he knew me and Matt Moore and Dave Posey and a couple other people that we just all went in the studio together to record. And um, I'd already been playing music with Dave Posey, doing a duo, and we were doing really well. We were playing four nights a week, something like that, making good money and very easy, you know. Showed up in the studio and I go, look, I go, I didn't even really want to be here tonight. I had got a Christmas party with my church. They rearranged this date twice to fit my schedule. And I'm like, so I've got three hours and I'm out of here. I don't care what you guys are paying for it. You know, I got to do it. And it, we we laid down four songs, which we'd never really practiced. Four songs in three hours, first take. And I was literally like looking at everyone going, what song do we want to do? And they're all going, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I'm like, it's yours songs, you know? Mm. And so I go, Let's do whatever song pops up. Let's do this song. Okay. So we did it. And I go, how does that go? And Damien would show me the, the chords. And I was like, okay, so does it have a change in it anywhere? Do we? Is there a, a, it's a solo or something? Like, uh, I don't know. And I'm like, how about after he sings the chorus, you play the ukulele and play a solo for it? He's like, okay. Played another chorus. Do you want me to play an acoustic solo? Uh, okay. So it was like that with every song. So the end product of the album took forever. But the first four hours we were in the studio... It's the first time we'd ever heard kind of these songs. They came out of the blue. There was no structure. And I just kind of was like, what do you think? Do you want to do this? And yeah, yeah, okay, let's try this. And in three hours, recorded the first take of four songs. And I left there going, I've never experienced something coming together so tight and amazing with its own identity. So I was driving to the Christmas party, scratching my head going, wow, man, that was really cool. So next time we showed up to record the rest of them, it wasn't as smooth, but the identity was already forming. Like it was already there. And I remember Tony and I don't really think any of these like guys. Like everyone was already stoked They're already the first time. They're already stoked. Yeah. And it was like, I felt like I was, because uh, my thing as a musician, I was what wanna... a strange, not to interrupt you, man, yeah, but what ahead. a strange yeah. thing that this band isn't even formed and you're already recording an album. Like that, that's the exact opposite of how that normally goes. You know, just just to interject that, man. Like, that's that's a trip to me, you it, know? It was... I've been in the studio before, Heritage, and what was so funny about it was, like, I, I, at first, the very, especially the first day, I was like, this is a freaking joke, man, because getting in there, nobody even knows who's in charge. The, the guy who owned the studio was like, 
all right, wh- what do you guys want to do first? And everyone looked at each other and he goes, well, who's in charge? And everybody kind of like looked at each other again. I go, how about the singer? The singer's in charge right now. What do you want to do? And he's like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not really in charge. And so, and, uh, but what was awesome was it right away started taking on its own identity and, and had energy that it was undeniable, you know, and I was not looking to be in some kind of Hawaiian reggae band, you know, like it's just, I don't know. I was kind of doing my own thing. And I remember after the second session, Tony get everyone together and Damien got everyone together. It's like, so we're going to do this. We're going to be a band. We're going to do this kind of stuff. I was like, slow the, slow down, dude. I don't know. I mean, you guys are wet behind your ears. None of you guys have been in a band before, but what they're bringing to the table was super genuine and authentic. And it felt really good. And I was like, why don't we just play it by ear? And me and Dave were talking. I'm like, let's just see how this plans out. And it just kept escalating the vibe, the, 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 the fan base, the energy very first show we had was at blue point. And there was like over 300 people there. And there was a bunch of Samoan Hawaiian dudes to show up from the military, six, four covered in tattoos, getting fights with cops. And there was like people getting tased. And so blue point, blue point was the deal. <laughs> but the funny part about it was a lot of the other venues like, no, 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 we don't want that band here. They just bring the riffraff and, and, Really quickly, we lost that that rep and started playing at place like Overboard, and it just that wasn't an, unco- an uncommon thing for Blue Point. Yeah, I know, was, right? Don't don't Point. pin that on Heritage. Yeah, right. yeah. I got into a group fight at Blue Point. I don't get into fights. Really? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it was the night or your first show because <laughs> <laughs> it, it was probably eight or nine years ago. Was it a big dark skinned dude with tattoos talking crap to white people as they're walking by? That was yeah. I don't, no, this was a limo full of guys that oh, unloaded on us. Yeah. Some douches that were like on their yeah. bachelor party, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, you, so you play your first show at Blue Point. You already is your album out already? Yes, that was our CD release party. So you, for the first time you played out was the first time your album was out. Me or Heritage? Heritage. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was the first time, first show we'd ever had, and it was, uh, th- we played in that side room back there. I don't even remember how it went, but everyone was so wound up and so excited about the album because there was, I mean, technically at the moment, there was eight people in the band. We had two ukuleles. We had percussion. I mean, just, it was way too much, but. Yeah, so, what did uh, what did Era do? What did Eric do in the band? Oh, Eric here was a uh, backup vocalist and another vocalist. So it was kind of like Tony, Damien, and Eric together. And Eric was the professional male dancer of the group, too. Okay. <laughs> Everybody knew he had the style, you know. Mm. He's from Guam. We wear the white dress shoes and, like, the fedora hat. And all the girls like, oh, he's so handsome. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he was cool. Yeah. We used he's, to be he cool. is a handsome gentleman. Yeah. Um, I'll give you that. Shout out to Eric. Eric does all, uh, all my website stuff. And cool, all man. Stuff. He's yeah. actually working on... One for me yeah. at the moment. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was the first show. And it was, I don't even remember if it was good or not, but there was so much energy, it didn't matter. It was so loud in there. We all probably played mediocre and trying to remember the changes and everything, but it turned out pretty good, I think. Yeah. So, so how did you get that going? How did you do a CD release party and also your first show, but have that many people backing that band at the moment? I think the majority of it was, um, but the dynamics of Heritage the first couple of years was, we had so many members, and a lot of us had different friend groups. Yeah. Like I had the whole church friend group. You had, had military Dave, guys. That's right. Yeah, the yeah, military you had different guys. Units yeah, in the military. So you got like eight, eight or nine yeah. dudes on stage, and they all. And they bring three Which, fins. And they bring three fins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And and, yep. and being in the military, if someone in your unit's in a band, that's oh, yeah. an unheard of thing. Yeah. 
like that's not a thing. Like a lot of dudes that are in the military don't play in bands. Yeah, get time know? for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're they're all over the place. They're on you know, TDY here. Uh, you know, deployed here. So. That, that'd be my guess on how that happened. You it, know? And that's what it was, because I, yeah. I started figuring that out pretty quick, that every time we showed up, well, two two things were big factors. You got seven, let's say seven guys, because um, uh, Damien's uncle, Arrow, um, was uh, went back to Hawaii, but he was double ukulele, and we're like, we can't have eight people every single time. So basically seven different people, seven different friend groups. That was one factor. And the other factor was that you're playing really vibey, like feel good sexy music and you have a group of relatively mediocre decent looking guys on stage whatever mm-hmm. however you want to say that yeah. i've heard that a lot that's the only reason why i'm saying it and um and then so you have this vibey sexy we, i used to have a joke out of all the bands <laughs> i wouldn't want to fight it well, i don't want to fight fucking heritage <laughs> <laughs> like, if there was one band i didn't want to fight it was fucking heritage Dude, you know, <laughs> you, that's that's probably right because you got you got a bunch of different guys for different reasons could whip the shit out of a lot of other people, not because we're all badasses, but yeah, 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 that's hilarious. You have a Hawaiian, you have an Italian with a bad attitudes from the military, you have a guy that used to do MMA, and you got Dave Posey. He's just a big loving guy until you piss him off, and then he's just going to stomp on you. So Dave Posey's a strong guy. I know he is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, the, the other thing was... So, so you have different friend groups, and then the other part was you have this vibey, feel-good, sexy music, which a bunch of big uh, Hawaiian dudes were, were rolling up, vibing, Hawaiian style to that. You just, the girls would come out of the woodwork. So every show we were at, all the girls came to the front and danced right away. And every bar that would see that was like, if you have a stage full of girls all the guys are going to follow. Mm-hmm. So every yeah. bar started offering us more money than the last bar to play. And so we started playing it overboard a bunch. The guy would call me out of nowhere uh, on, on a Tuesday. Hey, you want to play Friday? And this is like the first three months we were a band. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, sure. Like how much? 1500. What? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, so just jump on it right away. But uh, yeah, so that was, that was the beginning. We escalated quickly, which was, a lot of fun. Yeah. And so so that became uh, everyone's full-time job probably within the first six months of your first show. Pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. I, I felt like, not that I have any experience in building a huge band to ultimate stardom or anything like that, but I felt like wisdom would have been, hey, man, let's keep our jobs. Let's play on the weekends and let this thing grow. Because we had every intention of turning it into a business. And... And the business needs money, man. We need money for albums and gear and all this kind of stuff. And... And our manager at the time was like, we're going full-time. Everyone's going to be full-time rock stars. So you had guys quitting the military. You had guys oh, that didn't, didn't have jobs that were like, oh, cool, man, full-time. And I was like, do you know what that's going to take for us to all be full-time? You got seven guys that need a full-time paycheck. And then so it ended up being that everyone was micromanaging each other's finances and like, well, you got that, but I don't have this. And, and I was like, this is not a good idea, but we did it anyway. It was, yeah. in, was in the first three months we were full-time. That was going to be my next question in retrospect, knowing what you know now. Um, and just like me with, with, uh, with the management that I do, would you have done that differently? Would you have halted the brakes on that? Big time. Anybody that's out there wanting to do music, like as a living, whatever, man, let that thing grow. I know it sounds glorious to go full time and be, Oh, what do you do for a living? Uh, play music. That's what I do. And I still have people ask me that, you know, even up until recently, like, so that's all you guys do? You guys just play music full time? Like, oh, yeah. And they go, oh, wow, man, that's really cool. And I go, 
Yeah, sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah, you have no idea. I'm like, yeah, but you get to high five your boss and go later, dude, and then go home and just do your thing. And I see everybody on the weekends raging, having a good time. Like, your good time is my work night. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it it shifted to where I'm like, I don't like to party so much, man. It's just getting it's wearing on me, you know. But yeah, well, and and I mean uh, immediately, and that was going to be another question I had from you. So, so you're going from an, uh, an environment that I would say is very clean and uh religious to mm-hmm. an environment that i would say is is kind of the opposite of that when you're at the bars until you know you're playing the bars until oh, yeah. 2 a.m oh, yeah. everyone's buying you shots oh yeah uh you know there's beautiful women everywhere you know a bunch of good looking dudes in in the band like I, I would assume that that has to take a strain on not only your life but also personal relationships and things like that as well um what's that how it, that seems like you went you know, from from one from one end, to, you yeah. did a, you did another one eighty there, and and went and went the other way That's on a that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a three sixty. We just figured we just figured out. It it all makes sense now. Yeah. Um, what, how, what's that? What's that transition like to you? What does that look well, like? What does I, that feel like? Just to be you honest know? with you, um, like when I was married, I was married to the person I wanted to stay married to for the rest of my life, the rest of my days. And, um, and when it was obvious that that was not at one juncture, just out of the blue, she was like, I just think I want something else, you know? And, and I, that was, that was kind of, you had no warning, no warning signs, nothing, not at all. And that was just that. And we went to dinner one night and she's just like, I don't know. I just feel like you, I want something else. And I was like, like, like a different order and menu, like, you, and, you know, and <laughs> so you like your fish, <laughs> oh, we could take it back. And she's like, no different husband. And I, so anyway, for me, that was devastating. Yeah. And sure. um, I, I spent a long time trying to process that. But in the middle of all that, um, I, I, I felt like I didn't lose faith in God. I mean, I might have been mad at him for a little bit um, and and have some frustrations with, with how life is turning out for what I've done and what I felt like I, I should have been maybe compensated for, for my service or my love or my, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so I got to a point where I'm like, it's just better for me to just keep my mouth when I came to spiritual things or church or being in leadership, because I've been in leadership for 15 years and church stuff, you know, I was like, I think I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Like, just let me just sit back and soak up what happened, where I'm going next and let God speak to my heart in whatever way, shape or form that was. But I mean, to be honest with you, it was a pretty, pretty tough time for me. So I just got to a point where I just didn't give a shit. I really didn't care. I mean, still going to church, still loved God, still believed the Bible, all that kind of stuff. But I was so torn up about it that that the bar was really comfortable for me. Yeah. Like, drinking and getting hammered on the weekends was like, yep, sounds about right. Like, let's do that. And I felt like, even though this is pretty obvious, but I felt like I'd be at the bar and be around other people that felt like me. You know what I mean? And I know that sounds stupid and sounds obvious, but I was like, I feel like I can relate to everybody here. And so the music just happened to be a reason for me to be there and, uh, you know, ended up being fun. But yeah, it was a polar opposite thing to where I was like, wow, this is, I've got a lot of processing to do. Cause I didn't feel like I needed to preach at anybody or feel like I needed to be judgmental, but it was tough because I'm like there and basically you drink and you hang out and you play music. And if you leave out the drinking part, but you play music four or five nights a week in a bar, you're going to murder everybody. You're going to come unglued and unraveled. So I felt like for me that would take the edge off was drinking here and there. And when I did that, I felt like I 
had the peace and the patience to listen to some guy's story for 45 minutes and then him stop, look at me and walk off. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, normally I would be like, okay, I'll end up in jail. Ah, oh, that's okay. I'll go kill this guy on the, on the pavement outside and just why, why it's worth it, you know, but, but you know, after a couple of drinks. So, th- but the thing is like, you know, you're talking about t- nine, 10 years later, like I'm, I'm wanting to do, I want to play music. For How the, does that, when you say that time, that nine years, how does that feel, man? It's very surreal. It's very weird. Like I wouldn't have ever thought. It's we- weird for me to think about too, because I was I knew you guys from the get go, so I can't believe that it's been that long as well. I know. It just for me to think back to the time frames of what the band looked like here. What what are the band meaning like members and what it sounded like and where we played, who was our friends that were in the crowd and the venues we played at, like. You know, how was it for this year? How about this year, that year? I look at that and I'm like, God, I didn't even feel like we're the same creation. I feel like we're in a completely different place. But the funny part about it is we have more momentum now than we've ever had. Like we just spent three months on the West Coast and I had someone text me the other day and they're in Oregon and they're like, Oh my God, I was in the store and I saw someone wearing a heritage shirt and I was like, Yeah, baby, you know. Yeah. But so but it's it's funny to have a completely different identity. And have to hold to what your roots and your heritage originally was, <clears throat> but you can't cling to that. Like you said, nostalgia. Was it you said nostalgia is a dangerous thing? Yeah. So you you got to be. I, thought it was, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Shane says stuff too. <laughs> no, but uh, which, by the way, to anybody out here, if you don't know, these two guys are some of my good buddies. So I will see them out occasionally and hang out and high five and hug and. I think I was gonna say I've totally been one of those guys that have talked to you forty five <laughs> minutes and then just been like I gotta go. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> For your own defense, I will tell you you're one of the people that I'm like, dude, I want to hear what he's got to say because you you've, you have a, a cool story, a cool uh, history. You have a cool job. You have a, an amazing band. You, so when you talk, I'm like I'm listening well, thanks, because man. you and I are in the I same thing. That. Shane, on the other hand, <laughs> is the kind of guy that sees me across the bar and orders me and my girlfriend shots. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, this dirty rat. He got me tequila again. And we do the shot. I'm like, is that water? <laughs> and he thumbs up like, yeah. I was like, what a jerk. You, know? <laughs> you really did that? Oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was last week or the week before. Oh, yeah. But, uh, nice but do you buy him a real shot afterwards? Oh, yeah, I'll come over. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, he does. All right. I didn't know that was your move. <laughs> yeah, when I, see the, when I see those two, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but then I so, go over and bullshit with, you know, Rachel. We'll talk about bartending stuff. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are even talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. You know, whatever. Numbers and percentages and whatever. I don't care. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I guess, um, yeah, the, the hard part about the, the nine years thing is, that uh, there was such a cool identity when the band first got started, and I didn't, I didn't hear anybody doing it. You know, it was kind of like gotta finish it. high energy, oh, if you insist. Gotta finish it. Gotta what is that finish. stuff called again? What's Basil Hayden. Oh, my God. It's it's best bourbon game. ever. Yeah. Is there some Mictors still up there? there? Yeah, there's another uh, like shot or so of Mictors, so if you, oh. you want to get into that, you can do that as well. It's pretty delicious too, man. Uh, Mictors is good um, stuff. Delicious. Oh, actually, I haven't tried that stuff. I've tried the other Mictors. But um, so it, it was it was cool. And, you know, just, just to kind of anybody who knows Heritage, just listening, not that you care, maybe you are, but the uh, the band, when it first started, had such a cool vibe and such a cool thing going on. And it had its own identity, and it was like high-energy reggae rock with a percussion. I mean, we're like a full-blown touring band out of the gate. 
percussion section, ukulele, lead guitar, and then sooner or later was a, a keyboard and sax also with Jamal Terry, who's incredible. Love that guy. Um, and it was really cool. And then, but the thing is, like, you start doing this full time and you start to realize, is this what you're cut out to do? Do you want to do this? Is this making you happy? And not to mention any names, but throughout the years of us being a band, we've gotten to the point where it's been obvious to that particular person who's not in the band anymore. Each person was like, you know, I just don't know that I want to do this. Or it might have been like, I don't know that I want to do this with you guys. Maybe I do want to do it, but I want to do it in a different setup, you know? And so the hard part is you you lose little pieces of the puzzle that were the original starting identity. But the thing about it is you go, okay, well, that particular part isn't here anymore. So you guys want to quit? We done? And you go, no, I don't want to quit. I, I feel like we want to do this. And everyone who's still left, we want to do it with this particular group of guys. So we keep going. You know, and then you do that and you get somebody else and you lose somebody else and you go, well, do we quit? And of course not, we don't quit and we mm-hmm. want to keep doing what we're doing. So I feel like each time it's been really humbling to go from this big production <clears throat> of energy and different people and all that, all the way down to now we're four guys. But it's, it's kind of ironic. And I say this, this, this meekly, humbly, but it seems like every time we lost a key player that was incredibly good or incredibly talented, whoever they are, all the guys we've lost, because they're, they're or they've moved on, I should say lost them. They moved on. They're all doing really well now. Um, but every time we've lost a person, let them go, what they quit, whatever it was, I feel like it kind of took us to a new level, musicianship of each of us. So we all had to step our game up because there's not so many other people covering up your playing. Mm. And so we got to the point where Jama felt like he should move on to do his own stuff solo. And if you ever get a chance to see him, he's super good doing solo looping and playing sax and all that. When he left, so now the band goes from this huge band to bass, drums, and guitar. Yeah. And I know some of the biggest bands ever, Chili Pepper. I mean, like, you got three-piece bands that are all epic, but I'm used to seven people playing, you know? So I was like, well, let's just see what happens, you know? And then out of the gate, right away, I felt like, as we all began to step up our game, like, don't just sit there and stare at me. You play something now. Now there's some time to fill right here. Cause there was usually a solo right here. And I don't want to play a guitar solo every time Tony stops singing. So like, let's get creative. So I feel like over the past couple of years of that, we've even gotten better and it's easy to travel with four guys and go on tour and easier, easier, easier. To yeah. Yeah. Easier. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, no, I think, I think it, it made you guys tighter. Your, your guys sound is more tight and it is phenomenal now thanks man i appreciate that that means a lot (laughs) Uh, and and having billy have that have a click in his ear on on every song man like people don't understand what that really does for a band you know what i'm saying like you told you because i remember having that conversation with you you told me like billy plays to a click on every song i was like really you're like yeah he still does that right he still still does it yeah you guys explain what that is yeah uh okay so a, a click is basically um i'm assuming that billy uh wears ears He's got ears. All right. You have it when you have in-ear monitors. Uh, in one ear, you're gonna have your mix, which is uh, the way you want to hear the music. Uh, so whether you want more vocals, less vocals, more guitar, less guitar, whatever. And then in your right ear, you'll have your metronome click, which is just so it's just the same time the whole song. So if you're playing a play a song that's 120 beats per minute. Billy will, before the song starts, he'll, whatever machine he uses to trigger that click, he'll trigger the click, and then he'll give the band a countdown, 
whether mm-hmm. you know one way or another so the band knows the tempo of the song so basically the song is performed in the beginning of the song the exact same tempo at the end of the song it just makes for a tighter sound tighter band do you, do you have a click in your ear oh, when I don't. you're playing so you just play to billy basically i will be here coming up soon <laughs> doing solo yeah. stuff i will but uh you know i just we just played to billy because it, it's funny i've had musicians go oh yeah so does your drummer play to a click I go, yeah, and they go, every song? He's like, and I'm like, yeah, and they're like, oh, wow. I go, isn't that kind of the standard of the industry? Like, you like legit people, and they're thinking, I mean, well, pros. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, we've been nine years. I hope we're heading in that direction. You know, I'm not saying we're pros, but I hope we are. It's funny because anytime the, the power supply or whatever he used as a surge protector goes out when Billy's is playing the, the metronome and it goes out, he throws this big huff. He goes, oh, metronome's out. <laughs> and I was like, is it humanly possible for us to play without it? And I mean, I guess so. We got to. And I'm like, I always laugh because I'm like, you, you have no idea the rest of the world. Everyone else is just like, whatever, man, it's good. And they do all this kind of stuff. That's, but dude, that's totally Billy, dude. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone goes, how come the drummer just threw a fit? It's because his metronome's out. Just don't talk to him for a little bit. One of the funniest things I ever saw, uh, I used to bartend at Funky Blue Shack, and, and you know, that's how, uh, well, no, we, I knew you guys way before I bartended at Funky's, but, <laughs> I, well, I bartended Mello. there twice, but yeah, Mellow is where, where we really started to uh, work together, so to speak. Um, but one night, there was this band that came in, and... Uh, someone put in the tip jar Someone put Wagon Wheel And put a $20 in the tip jar And it was like their last song It was the band's last song of the night So the guy reaches The, the guitar player singer Reaches in and pulls it out as a $20 bill And he's like Alright Wagon Wheel And puts it in there And the drummer's like Uh uh-uh, uh Uh uh-uh. uh So he starts stro- the, the singer starts strumming <laughs> Wagon Wheel And I swear to God The drummer Fucking throws a fit on stage, stops, throws his fucking drumsticks, walks off the fucking stage for the last song of this band, and so just leaves the guitar, ba- the guitar and the bass player and the keyboard up there to finish playing Wagon Wheel by themselves. But like, legitimately threw a fit. Dude, like, it was. The, but I was like, I can't blame you, dude. I like it. I like no, it. I'm yeah. with that. It's just so. funny because that wasn't last year. That was, you know, that was probably what five years ago. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think you need a drummer to play Wagon Wheel. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I think bands became aware of the stigma and the annoyingness no, of like, Wagon Wheel far before the fans, out. you know, that was just, fans would be just like, I like that song, you know, but bands, when they have to hear it every night, yeah, someone likes that song every night. I was, and, at, I was at a wedding where they played that fucking song three goddamn times. Did, did you ever play it? Did oh, you yeah. Guys ever, did you guys play Wagon Wheel? No, 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 no. no. Okay. The guys were like, with between Matt and Tony... It's like anytime I'd bring something to the table, like, hey, man, this is a popular song. I've heard it a bunch. Like, that's gay. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, you guys are totally freaking the cool guys. I'll make sure to filter everything I do for the rest of my life of whether or not you think it's cool. Thanks, bro. Which I'm glad we never did because if there's any kind of like video footage of that, we'd never live it down. But when I did solo acoustic, I used to do it all the time. But it's back when it first came out. And there was a guy who used to play at Blue Point who did it so well when it first came out before anyone else knew it was and so but yeah no not since then yeah matter of fact we were on tour one time we were in uh uh somewhere off the coast of south carolina and this really cool place called windjammer called isle of palms windjammer um south carolina and um this is one of the most legit 
tightly run stages and production by one person that I've ever met. And he's like, don't set up anything yet. Let me run all my stuff. And he's really particular about it. And all his cables were neat and tidy and all that. And when you opened his door for all the stuff, it said, band rules, no wagon wheel, no Mustang Sally. And I laughed when I saw it. And he looked at me like, are you freaking laughing right now? <laughs> he goes, if you guys do that, you may as well just pack up and go home. I was like, I was like, whoa, settle. I was like, no, we don't do it. We're you're good. We're, we do Hawaiian reggae stuff. He's like, you don't do a Hawaiian reggae version of wagon wheel, do you? I'm like, no. <laughs> Man, so so the band uh, blows up locally immediately. Uh, four or five years down the road, you guys get to go on warp tour for an extended period of time. Yep, we what's, did. What's that? What's that like, man? Because that's my that was my seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year old like wet dream. Like I played in Christian yeah. punk rock bands, you know. So no like, shit, really, yeah, Dude, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, that's growing awesome. up, so um, it wasn't that cool. No, it's totally cool. <laughs> did you did you like value pack? Cool. My, uh, value yeah, pack? value pack, uh, slick shoes, MXPX. Who was who was um, the the guys that were like more hard rock punk and really badass back in the day? Um, I mean, I would I would know there there's several like, like Stretch Armstrong or no, uh, if I think about it, uh, they were punk rock though. Yeah, like Christian punk rock. Yeah, they were. I always think MXPX. Yeah, MXPX. Oh no, yeah, they were they were, they were like, like the Christian you know, they, band, but they were more pop. Like, pop and the cool thing is, they were they were they could transition back and forth between Christian or not Christian, not not in their behavior. They but they like walked just, that line very, yeah. very. I don't want to say smartly, but another band, another like RX Bandits and uh, RX Bandits were no never way, Christian. They? No, yeah, I don't think no, so. no, 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 no. Wasn't like anything like something. No, like, their name was Prescription whole... Bandits. Yeah, like no, that whole label that they were on wasn't that. No, Drive Through was not a Christian label. They would they would they bring some bands over. Yeah, yeah, Tooth and Nail was a Christian label. Tooth and Nail would also sign uh bands that weren't they would have uh non-christian bands okay you know because i remember but like, you still weren't allowed to swear like oh, yeah, you couldn't right, you yeah. couldn't swear on a tooth and nail record you know mm-hmm. the um uh i totally just had a brain meltdown never mind um so so okay so anyway back to the, the warp tour mm-hmm. um i you I'm, i mean you grew up listening to punk rock oh yeah um so what's that like you know like holy dude, shit we're gonna it, go play warp tour dude it was like our good friend um, Steve Garrett, Stephen Amelia, and uh, the, the, he he's the tour manager for um, uh, No Effects. No, thank you. Right, no Effects. You, you said MXPX and, and like yeah, Bayside, yeah. right? Yeah, we got to meet all those guys. Yeah. So the cool thing was he he kind of said, "Hey man, I really f- I've known you guys for a long time. I feel like you have something I could maybe have an open door for you." And got us on the Warp tour for for I guess uh, uh, almost three weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't and realize that was the, the the Steve Garen hookup. Yep, you know, sweet man. Yep, he was he was. Definitely... I tried to I tried to get him on this. He's oh, a, really? He's the first one that said he's the first guy that's ever told me absolutely not. <laughs> he said no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll twist his arm. Yeah, he's like he said I would. He said if I had that's any desire good. to tell any of those stories, I would. <laughs> and he said I just wouldn't do well in the format. And I he, said, fair enough, man. <laughs> you know, he's so. like I value my marriage. Like, yeah. you know, like, no, no, I'm just kidding. No, he's, he's, we've learned so much from that guy just in his knowledge of the real music scene. But anyway, mm-hmm. so he got us on Warp Tour and he goes, Hey, man, you're the little guys. He goes, It's a family. Help out anywhere you can. Do what you can for the food, uh, to help the s- serving the food or cleaning up or whatever you got to do. Talk to these people to do it. So anyway, we got on there and 
two members of the band, three members of the band decided to be helpful and the other ones just did nothing, you know, the whole time we were there. But it was a trip because a lot of the ba- the very first show or second show we did, Story of the Year, was doing like a, a reunion show of one of their last albums. And mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite bands. And I was like, no yeah. way. So I was like, <laughs> for me personally, I was like, all right, hurry up. Let's play our set. So we play our 25-minute set, 27-minute set. Go, yeah, rock and roll. We're here. It's cool. Come meet us at that merch booth. And I grabbed the list of bands playing and just like zigzag back and forth between, you know, uh, Bring Me the Horizon and August Burns Red and like, you know, Story of the Year. And I was, I was, I was stomping over a bunch of kids trying to get to the show. So <laughs> I was stoked. And the other guys were just sitting under the merch booth going, it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it, was a, it was a pretty big eye-opener because – we were standing in, in line for food and we're, we're with, there's 110 bands on tour. So we're standing in this giant lunch line full of like a bunch of legit bands and everyone's just cattle herded into the food area and whatever. And so you just start to realize you are nobody. you like, you're no mm-hmm. one. You have yeah. no value at all. Just go be you and do you. Don't expect anything out of it. So that was a cool eye opener for that. But uh, the, the tour and traveling and being like, oh, yeah, we're on Warp Tour. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that's got to be a, a pretty big, uh, a pretty big uh, black and white kind of thing as well, going from like that excitement of, we're getting on Warp Tour. Fuck yeah. yeah. And then being yeah. on Warp Tour, being like, oh, we aren't shit. Like, uh, like super, super high. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was funny because there's every, every Warp Tour, there's three sections. Mm. And one section is the giant tour buses, like headliners, like Bring Me the Horizon and August Prince Red or whoever was, uh, um, like, whoever was headlining those particular things, those particular shows, because sometimes they'd vary. Each city was different with who would headline or whatever. Mm. And um, the used was on a bunch of them. And, uh, but there's three sections. One was for the tour buses, and they each had a parking spot and a green mat and their awning. And the next one was for, they're called bandwagons, and they're a giant black, looks like a giant black box truck, but it holds two or three bands. Mm-hmm. So there's places to sleep and all that, and you have to pay a bunch of money to be able to be on that, and you pay for it per day, you know. And then the last one was for... 15 passenger vans and and their crappy ass trailers and any kind of garbage that you would be driving there as some pathetic band that barely was trying to make it script and you know like we'd get out of our van at six in the morning and be around other vehicles and like you had all these bands that are like hanging up all their laundry and they just look like they haven't slept in weeks <laughs> and i was like Ew, this doesn't look like that much fun right now you know so yeah it was tough though we we would have to break down and haul ass to the very next spot and we'd be in the middle of the night. We we left four hours before the bus call, which was like twelve o'clock at night for the the band, uh, you know, all the other stuff. And we'd be in the middle of our drive, six six eight hour drive, four o'clock in the morning. And these bandwagons and these um, these semis would just go woo and just fly by us, going ninety miles an hour. We're like, dude, are you kidding me? We left at five, and they left at twelve, and I'm like this is crap, you know? So we'd get there at six in the morning, like be so tired from driving all night and just have to get up and play. But it was an eye opener. Like yeah. I was like, yeah, if I was 18, this might be cool, but <laughs> yeah, not interested in doing it again. <laughs> Were you yeah. guys like on like lineups on the t-shirts and all that stuff? Um, I don't really know. I don't remember. Yeah. I definitely didn't get one that had our name on it. Otherwise I'd probably frame it. And goes, oh, yeah. Remember that one time that I was <laughs> on the work tour when I was younger? Yeah. Uh, so so uh, fast forward to where we are now, man. 
um, and and kind of the big news that's that's kind of been around heritage. And uh, uh, man, before we get to that, I just want to like, I I know you know this, um, but I think everyone in this town, anyone anyone who's a music fan or anybody who's played music out here, you, you guys know you have the respect the respect of everyone, and. Uh, that's a tough thing to do, man. That's a tough thing for anybody to do around here. Whether or not people uh, are, are into the music or not or any of that stuff, people respect heritage, and you've earned it, and you've, awesome. and you've done it. You've done it by Thank several you. different ways, man. For me personally, um, I wouldn't be doing any of the stuff that I'm doing right now had it not been for the formation of heritage. Like it was a fluke, man. Awesome. I, I I wrote. I I asked you guys. I was joining this writing contest at my college. And I asked you guys for your time to do an interview. I didn't think there's any way you would do it because I was like, there's like eight of those motherfuckers, you know? I, so I, I think I asked like Dave, I, I think I was like, hey, can I get like one or two of you guys to meet me and I can interview for like this writing contest I'm going into? Like, I don't even know if the story will go anywhere. Like, I just I just need to interview someone. I think you guys would be a good interview. And um, so I showed up and the whole, like, first off, the whole band showed up. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like... <laughs> I was like, Dave, I told you this shit might not even get published, right? Like, like I, I made that clear, you know? And he's like, he's like, yeah, man, we're good. I was like, cool. So like, we did an interview, super pro interview. Somehow, uh, the story I put out, uh, one, and I think a, a big, a big part of the reason why I think, really, that, yeah, that's why that story got published. Wow, man, in awesome. the magazine, yeah. The story, the story that won the writing contest was being published in the magazine, and that's why that story got in the in the magazine. But wow. it also, I, I don't. I think I did a good job with the story, but I think what really did it was all like I had your press kit to turn in with the story. Like I had, I had like all the professional stuff that you all had already done for yourselves. I was able to turn in with the story. So when I turned in wow. this packet, they were like, oh, "Okay, yeah, no one else even did anything close to this." Like, yeah, we're publishing your story. So that kind of got me into like the whole man. Maybe I could have a career in music. Cool, man. You know, and and then like. When I did the Ray Charles things, man, like that this fucking poster yep. right here, man, dude, like you know, like we, like seriously, man, like so so many milestones of where I am and in my career is because of you guys. Wow, that's really and crazy I mean, to hear. Um, I mean, you and you know it, but I, it's just you don't know, remember it. I didn't yeah, know that. Well, it's it's just like I said, man. It's everything leads to another, and even even uh, my my in with the with like with the booking thing uh, that came. From a member of Heritage, a prior, a past member of Heritage, so it's just, it's just really kind of crazy. And and now all this, so uh, man, you guys have been through some shit too. Like, wow, yeah. um, you know, you guys, I know in the uh, in the post that you put out, um, several of you have lost family members uh, through through these nine years, and still the focus has been on Heritage. So, um, talk a little bit about what's going on now and kind of what the future looks like, and and kind of what recently, you know, what recently has happened. Yeah. Well, we, um, like I was saying a little bit earlier before, <clears throat> I feel like, which to me, because I don't, I, how do I say this? I'll back up just a second here. I say this kind of, I say this humbly. I don't really care what anybody thinks about me or I do care what they think about us as a band, but personally, whether they think I'm a good guitar player, or I suck, um, or there's someone better or. I'm too white or whatever it is, you know, cause like we do reggae <laughs> rock. It was like, I've literally had the band members go, okay. So when you're like playing the skank, the, the reggae guitar part, could you not do it? So white, you know, like, so, <laughs> so I don't really care what anybody thinks about me. Generally, I just do what I can do to make what, what I'm a part of the best that's possible. But, um, you know, I look at it like, 
we've been doing what we've been doing for as long as we've been doing it. And as baffling as it is to me with four members over the last two years now, we have more momentum we've ever had. Maybe not quite as much locally. I mean, we kind of go up and down with the seasons and which venues are open here. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? Like there's this kick-ass venue that's open for a couple of years and all of a sudden it's gone. So everyone decides to do whatever. But we have a lot of momentum for the rest of the U.S. And for us, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like we spent weeks in Oregon and weeks in California, some in Washington, and be able to travel the whole U.S. and experience all these things and show up at a place where the bar staff smiles as we're walking in. They're like, bro, we've been waiting for over two months for you to come here. Are you going to play these five songs that we really like? We're like, what? I mean, this is in the middle of nowhere, you know? So mm. for me, that's all really, really exciting. So the touring part this past year, just not that anyone was wondering, but it wasn't like, oh, we toured for three months this year. We're just exhausted. This is crap. We hate it. We're done. You know, like we're done touring for a while. It's not that at all. We all had such a good time. We got caught in rainstorms at three in the morning camping and like our tent is like six inches of water. And, and the next morning, everyone's like laughing about it around a campfire. And I mean, it's just some of the experiences I'll never forget. Mm. But the one of the big things is like, as you come to a point where you feel like you have more momentum than ever, you have to go, okay, either we just keep pounding the pavement and next year we'll be more venues and we'll have more shows and we'll be doing more traveling and all that kind of stuff. Or you get to a place where you're like, man, it's been nine years and we've never had a break. Not once. And I feel like creatively, it's not the playing the music. It's not the bars. It's not the traveling. And to be honest with you, it's not even the guys in the band. Like, oh, we can't stand each other because we all pretty much get along really good. It's it's like it might be better to step back. And, and part of it, and, you know, I don't know how much I can say about this, but, um, you know, I lost my dad a year and a half ago. Billy lost his dad three years ago. And, uh, you know, Tony's family in California is getting older. I don't know if you know this, but Tony's about 33. Mm-hmm. And his dad is 83, 84 years old. And uh, his mom's not quite that old, but, you know, getting up there. And they're all having some pretty big health issues. And I'm, like, looking at him like, dude, you watched me and Billy both go through losing their family. And you have a choice. Do you want to just keep pounding the pavement and just smash it and smash it and smash it? And then one day you're getting a call that you got to go be a part of somebody's funeral or whatever. And you're like, shit, man, I wish I would have spend a little bit more time with them instead of just chasing my dreams, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he and I had some pretty big heart-to-hearts on this tour because of the condition of his dad and just some stuff was going on with him physically. And um, I said, man, my vote for you would be to screeching halt e-brake where we're at at the moment so you can spend some time with your family. Not, not that that's all the reason why we're taking a break right now, but... I'm like, bro, there's nothing more important than your dad and your mom. Mm-hmm. Like, there just isn't. No matter how much you get along with either one or the lack thereof or whatever, it's like you will never get those days back. And so we talked about that, and the more we started thinking about taking a break, I was like, God, you know what? We've never had the time to step back and, and regenerate creatively. We'll all take a week off for Christmas or something like that, but it's just pound the pavement. It's yeah, many, and that, like know? the first two or three days when you're taking that week off, you're you really are just adjusting to <laughs> yeah. that yeah it's not even relaxing no you know? not at all it's funny somebody asked me this because last weekend was the first weekend i personally had nothing to do 
And someone's like, so like, do you miss it? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, I miss it. If you want to get to that, yeah, I'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm like, I've never had a weekend where this is the beginning of whatever the hell I want to do whenever I want to do it. Not like, oh my God, a, a, a venue fell through on Saturday night. We have nowhere to play. We have Saturday night off. I'm like, literally, this is no joke. When we would have a random Friday or Saturday off because something fell through or we didn't want to book the same place within a three-week time period or whatever, I would sit at my house like thinking, all right, I got to shower because I got to go out tonight. I mean, like tonight's my night. I have never Friday or Saturday night. And I'd sit there until 9.30 or 10 and be like, am I going to go out or what's going to go on? So finally I get out and it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm like, I have no time to even unwind because I'm like, well, last weekend's the first weekend that I was like, uh, maybe I'll go see Imogene, you know, like, mm. is that how you say it, right? Yeah. Prophet, yeah. Imogene, right? Yeah. Went to World of Beer, watched them for a while, and I was like, oh, my God, every song made me want to cry. And then after that, I'm like, maybe I'll go here, maybe I'll go there. So it's just, it's crazy to, to have that kind of liberty to do that mm-hmm. and realize that we've never had any breathing space. And so w- when Tony and I talked about it originally, I'm like, I just think it's a healthy thing just to mm-hmm. do it. And, I, I, you know, I've already had a bunch of, uh, calls about like July or what? Hey, what if we do this big reunion? You come back for this festival thing, and we'll fly Tony back and all that. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. Uh, we we'd want to do it. And I said, but now I'm saying, hey man, you have to jump back in neck deep at this particular date. And I go, to be honest with you, we're all so tight and we get along so good that I feel like it's better for me to just or for us to just go. You know what? Let's all just go do our own thing, and we feel like this is the right time to get back in it, which hopefully it's soon. It'll just come back together, and we'll just move forward with new music, you know? And uh, speaking of new music, I just went into the studio yesterday for the last time to finalize the last uh, version of our newest song that we're about to release, and um, it's called Farewell, and it'll be uh, it'll be on the radio, uh, I guess, probably in the next week or so. Cause yeah, one, one, should, should fans read into that at all? Read into what the the title of the song. No, uh, you could. It's ironic that it's called farewell. Yeah. But but no, if you, if you listen to the song, it's it's a uh, you know about a relationship yeah. that went kind of sideways, and it's like you know what I have to move on. So farewell and all that kind of stuff. So no no, it isn't a message from Heritage to our fans saying later, see you guys later. You know, because <laughs> if you listen to the words, you be like, hey, it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a rough song. You're telling me like. Hit the road, Jack. You know, like <laughs> fuck you, dude. Yeah, no, not like that. No, not like that. Yeah. Not that kind of farewell. But so anyway, like what I was getting at is that we we all talked about this. We're like, hey, this is one of our favorite songs right now, and it's the only song in the entire time we've been a band that we ha- haven't recorded somewhere, um, and just played it at some shows over the last six months or however long it was, and people are showing up at our shows, screaming at the top of the lungs, singing the song. Mm-hmm. We've never had that happen, even with Sanctuary, yeah. which is a good song. And um, so I'm really excited about it. So that ought to be out in the next uh, week or two. But yeah, maybe right. even after the end of this show. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. There's a possibility. Uh, possibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, I, I know I told you I wouldn't put you on the spot too much, but I, I, one oh, question. I want to put you on the yeah. spot. One question. Yeah, man. you're good. Um, just because I know people and Heritage fans, uh, especially who are listening to this, are going to want to know this. Um, if, if you're going to give me a number one out of ten, uh, what would you say that Heritage comes back to doing this full time again? And if you don't want to answer that, you don't. Oh, no, no, to. no. That's, that's totally cool. It's a fair question. <clears throat> and I, I think that um, I think that our fan base has been so it's, – it's not like we're just a band that just rocks out and like, yeah, man, let's party. I mean, like 
there's a lot of emotional lyrics that people have connected with. So mm. I feel like that's a like a deserved question for mm. our friends and fans. But I'd say a five. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe more. So 50-50. Yeah, 50-50. And I honestly think that it's probably more than that. But I just don't want it to be that you say something and everyone goes, but you said that. Because honestly, and I think this is the liberty about where we're at right now. Musically, we get along really good. And we get along with like out of the, we could not play music together for four months, show up, have one band practice, not even a band practice, show up on stage and be like, oh yeah, right. That's, that's how it feels, you know? <clears throat> but the liberty of going, everybody take your time, go do your thing. Like take a big, deep breath, practice, uh, do whatever, you know, do your thing for a, a short period of time to regroup, write new music. Cause Tony's always writing new stuff. And, and I, I always appreciate that. He's writing stuff on his own that he's not sure if he wants to sell or give to heritage or whatever. And he'll bring it to the table. And I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. And then we'll try for a while. I'm like, nah, maybe it's not heritage, you know, cause he's working on stuff in California to be able to write and sell with a producer. Like they're kind of working together on some stuff that's non heritage, mm-hmm. but it's because Tony's a songwriter. Yeah. He does that. Well, if he brings it to the band, we all stare at each other. Like, during the headlights and he goes so no and we're like i mean we could try and work on it let's figure it out he's like you know never mind let me see if i can do something else with it so but um having the liberty like for me personally to play electric guitar or play acoustic or do solos which i'm gonna start doing here pretty soon um and matt and billy to go just play drums or play bass because they want to that's so rare in the length of time that we've done it that i feel like that's a healthy thing for us to just have no time limit on and go you know what when we feel like tony's like hey man what are we doing do you guys want to get back together soon do you want to start working on stuff for spring or summer or whatever it is do you guys want to come to the west coast you know i think that it's it's cool not to go all right you have two and a half months tony before <clears throat> yeah. we need to start booking yeah. for for you know because then it's it's not really fair so it, it, so basically an easy way to answer it, it was le- it was left open-ended yeah totally open-ended yeah. positively yeah yeah, and so like the way I see it is, we're taking a break. Everyone, and I've I've kind of mistakenly used the word indefinite um, sometimes because people go, "Oh, so you guys are quitting?" I was like, "Well, no, indefinite means there's not a definite end of the break." I just, you know, I just meant we're taking an open-ended break and see how long it lasts. But there hasn't been anything between any of us that's like, you know what, we're done, moving on, mm-hmm. doing our own thing because. For me, I live, and I was just talking with our, our former manager, who's our, our main finance guy, Roy, who's a guy that's maybe helped you even a little bit. Yes, I was gonna, I was, I was gonna allude <laughs> yeah. to that next, actually. Yeah. Um, from a management standpoint, I know I already told you guys from like a booking standpoint and all that, but from, uh, I was, I booked for a few years before I started uh, managing, and as soon as I was, when I was asked to start managing, my first instinct was absolutely not. It's not anything I'm interested in. Nope, I'll, I'm good at the booking thing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, with with Roy, uh, <clears throat> I approached Roy and I said, "Hey, man, can you give me some tidbits? You know, can I take you to lunch, pick your brain, whatever?" And he said, "What's your operating agreement look like?" I said, "What's my what look like?" <laughs> he said, "What what's your what does your operating agreement look like?" I said, "I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about." And yep. he said, "We need to talk, man." And I said, "Yeah, let's do it." Uh, so I signed a non-disclosure agreement, uh, but Roy let me peek at uh, a 17-page operating agreement that you all had set up. What? That was, uh, that was, you know, set me light years ahead. I wouldn't have known any of that stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, uh, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I'm, 
I can't I can't thank you guys enough for everything. You know, for for all the work we've done. Even your manager has influenced me. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. on every level. Yeah, you know awesome. what I'm saying. It was um, cool to hear. Man. You know, he he. And I, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't upset you by letting you know that he let me peek at your operating. No, room. not at all. I was um, I was more like, what? Dude, yeah. 17 pages long. Yeah, that's why I never read it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, but there's a lot of really important stuff. They're in like, there. hey, sign here. I'm like, yeah. 17 pages. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. I'll sign here. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I, I got to, I got to take a lot of ideas from that and include a lot of things into my personal operating agreement that I work with with the band that I work with right now. Awesome, um, man. So it's like I said, man. Uh, it's it's been it's been a pleasure, man, and it's been really cool to watch. Uh, it's been really cool to see. I've been involved on every end of it too, man. We have, I've booked you, you guys at festivals. Yes, I have, you have. Yep. You know, uh, I've I've served you drinks behind the bar. <laughs> you know, um, and it's it's been wonderful, man. So, um, man, I, thanks for being so open about everything. Oh, thanks absolutely, for sharing your man. story, dude. I hope you dug your time on the podcast. Oh, I absolutely know? loved it, man. I mean, like um, you know, I it, this. Being a part of this kind of stuff is something that I live for because, you know, sometimes people have thoughts or um, preconceived notions of how it is or how it went or where it's at right now. And for me to be able to kind of share this stuff is a huge privilege. So, dude, I appreciate it. Yeah, big time. And uh, just one, uh, three other quick thoughts, man. Hmm. Uh, what is the best part about being in Heritage? What's the worst part about being in Heritage? And if you could give any new band one piece of advice, what would it be? Best part of being about being in heritage is um, probably Matt's hair. Matt's <laughs> hair is pretty beautiful. That's, yeah, that's dope hair. I mean, I have dudes going, "Hey, man, that guy's hair is like really cool." So Matt's hair, probably no, no, seriously. Uh, best part about it um, is the energy, mm-hmm. the energy of, that each person in the band brings to the stage. And so every time I have to describe what kind of music we are to somebody on the other coast or in between or whatever. I go, okay, it sounds really stupid. We're high-energy rock reggae. And they go, what does that mean? I go, well, kind of like rock alternative reggae. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, never mind. Just come see us, you know? <laughs> like, So uh, the energy that we bring to the stage playing covers that people normally wouldn't jam out to, they'd always ask us to play because they're like, dude, your version of whatever it is is like best one you've ever heard, you know? So that that's I love that high energy. I love playing electric guitar, so that's a privilege. The worst part about it, um, would probably be like one of the reasons we're taking a break. Just we grueling years and years and years of playing three to six days a week, touring in season, out of season, everywhere in between, and not ever, you know, missing family, birthdays, and weddings. I missed my brother's wedding, which was a couple of months ago. Um, you know, babies being born, and you know, yeah. And after a while, you just dying. don't even uh, you just don't even realize it anymore. Like you're just yeah. like, oh, I can't do it. You know, like you don't even think about the things you're missing, right? I I literally just <clears> saw <throat> the advertisement for um, Rockville in Jacksonville in in March or wherever it is, March or April or May or something like that. I don't know. And the lineup of straight up rock for three days was like amazing. It's the first time I didn't go. Well, yep, I'm not gonna make it. I was like, oh my god, I might be able to make that. We'll see what happens. You know, so so missing out on life, I guess. But the thing is, though, there's a price to pay for success, and sometimes <clears> you're gonna have to sacrifice some of that time. But it's been nine years, so I feel like. Right now, it's a good time for us to maybe absorb a little bit of that family time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, what were we saying? What's the last if one? If you could give one one piece of advice to uh, to any up-and-coming bands or musicians. One piece of advice to upcoming bands. Um, I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. 
But um, if like you, just through nine years of learning, if there was one thing that maybe maybe there was one thing that you could take back or one thing you could do differently, maybe that's a better way to word that question. I, no, you know, maybe I, one change you could have made. Or no, something, I, or, I'll I'll or, stick with um, maybe just what is if I could give you some advice. Uh, number one, you got to be in a band with people who want to do what you do. You might have two guitar players you could choose from, and one's a freaking shredder, and he's just a flake. And then the other guy is, he's okay, but he's sold out to your vision. Pick him. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing, a buddy of mine who's been in numerous bands around here locally, one time he, he came to me uh, when we were playing at Funkies in Baytown one time, and he asked me, he goes, hey, man, I want to start a band. I want to do good things. What, what kind of advice would you give me? And I go, number one, be a good person and love your band members. Like, start there before you do anything else. Number two, practice your ass off so that you're really good. But being the best guitar player in this area doesn't make any difference. No one cares who's better than who the other guy. Just practice so you're really good and you do what you do. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and uh, the last thing is that, like, stick true to your, your word. If you book a venue and all of a sudden you get another... We did this. We made this mistake a couple of times when we were younger. If you book a venue for X amount of dollars, you got the bigger money on, and then all money. of a sudden someone else wants you to do a wedding or do something else, man, don't don't give it up, man. Right away you start shaming your name with with like, oh these guys are gonna dip out on you if they get something bigger. Like don't do that. Like once your name is valid, your performance is good, you start bringing people to the shows. Venues are gonna start paying you what you're worth. But mm. but number one, don't go full time right out of the gate. Even if you guys are badass, don't do it. Like work your jobs, let your start an LLC, start the business making money so you guys can buy gear and you're not depending on these crappy venues with crummy gear. You know, I've been to so many shows with kick ass bands that sound horrible that I'm watching the crowd go, nah, they're all right. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This band's amazing. The sound is just garbage, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, get important. You some QSCs. <laughs> That'd be my piece of advice. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all do in ears now and that's like, it's been. Night and day, we can control. I mean, I got. I don't want to get into it, but did you get molds? Do you have your own molds? No. Okay. No, because that that's a different type of in ear monitors. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you, those start around nine hundred. Well, yeah, yeah, you have to buy the molds to attach yep. to the box and shit. Yeah. Yep. But uh, we just have regular the sure ones that are they're good sures, but they don't have molds or anything yeah. like that. But we we ended up getting to where we're when we did this last tour. I made sure that the band allowed me to spend money on getting a splitter snake. We have to use our digital board. <laughs> So we would have, no matter where we went at any venue on stage, I had our 32 channel digital board, a splitter snake so that no matter what the front of house can still mix however they want to. And all of us still had our in-ear mixes. And so like you're talking the band being happy every time you're playing because the sound is perfect. Who cares what's happening out front? Mm. The crowd's going to see the band just coming unglued because they feel like the performance is really good, you know? So that's the kind of stuff you can't do if you're full time right out of the gate and you don't have any money to spend on it. You yeah. Know? Or you're in debt up to your nose already by financing it all, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for coming thanks, in here. Thanks, dude. I appreciate um, you having me. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that people should, uh, just by the conversation, people should probably be looking out for you this season, uh, probably doing some solo stuff. You know, yep. you're still going to be playing music yep. um, and doing all that, man. So uh, good luck on all that, man. Um, you know, good luck to the rest of the band. Um, you know, I know you talk to them all the time. Tell those guys that, uh, you know, I appreciate them and I'm thinking of them too, man. I saw Tony a couple days ago and told him that. So 
so yeah, man, thanks for coming out. Take I know care, I know that meant a lot to him because you've been you've been one of the friends since the very beginning. You know, yeah, so, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, man. So, well, thanks, dude. Good luck, man. Thanks, uh, man. Come, dude. You're welcome to come on whenever you want, man. So, I if you ever have it, anything dude. else coming on new that you want to talk about, dude, come on, we'll do it. Awesome. All. So, cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Nice day. I've got to go.